Inside Tracker is an at-home biomarker service that you can use to test up to 43 different biomarkers like lipids, liver enzymes, inflammation, sex hormones and much more. The process is simple. You order the test kit to your home, use the little fingerprick device to give your blood, send it back and you get results to your online dashboard or app. You can get a 25% discount of all their tests if you head over to seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker, that's in one word, and you can use the code seamlund at checkout. That's seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker, and the code is seamlund. Hey, um, welcome everyone. Uh, we're going to just talk today about um, micronutrients and especially uh, minerals. We're going to be focusing on the minerals uh, because um, that's what I recently specialized in uh, more and uh, the minerals themselves are pretty uh, important for the entire physiological processes of the body as well and we'll begin like with uh, what are the uh, micronutrients itself like um, you can change maybe to yeah like the bigger view of the uh, slides and my face a smaller one yeah like that so let's start with like what are micronutrients um, well there are different kinds of them and they're opposed to the macronutrients or macros. And the macros are the protein, carbs, and fats. And the micros are all the vitamins and minerals, as well as some of the uh, phytonutrients and uh, these other kind of um, compounds inside, um, mostly like plant foods. And uh, you can almost think that uh, the vitamins and minerals are almost like the roots to your uh, health because they govern virtually all these uh, different processes inside the body, like uh, bone formation, energy production, cognition, digestion, sleep, immunity, insulin sensitivity, inflammation, antioxidant defense, um, and everything yeah, is uh, kind of um, rooted in uh, vitamins and minerals. Um, so yeah, even like, let's go into like a very detailed example, which you don't have to like remember, you don't have to like understand this picture, but it's just an example of uh, how uh, vitamins and minerals are involved with uh, the most fundamental thing in life, which is energy production. So without energy, without ATP, you wouldn't be uh, alive. And uh, the vitamins and minerals are involved with all steps of uh, generating energy inside a mitochondrial uh, transport chain. And uh, inside a mitochondria, the electron transport chain consists of uh, multiple complexes. And you can see different vitamins and minerals are just involved with all these uh, complexes, as well as like generating energy from different fuel sources, like amino acids, fatty acids, and the glucose, you can see the red ones are the minerals that uh, they're involved in these uh, pathways. So these pathways, for example, uh, beta oxidation, burning fat is uh, dependent on different uh, minerals, zinc, chromium, magnesium, as well as calcium. And uh, the pathway of glycolysis, which is uh, using carbohydrates for energy, is uh, dependent on zinc, magnesium, chromium, calcium, uh, manganese as well. And uh, amino acids are dependent a lot on manganese, as well as, uh, yeah, you can, yeah, just eventually going to go into the TCA cycle or the Krebs cycle, which then enters the uh, electron transport chain. And the last step of energy production is uh, ATP synthase, where the ATP itself comes out. That is also dependent on uh, magnesium and the calcium mostly. So if you were to be deficient in some of these uh, minerals, then uh, your uh, energy production would be uh, suboptimal, or like your insulin sensitivity would be suboptimal, your fat oxidation would be suboptimal, and uh, yeah, you know, eventually after a while, your body will start to you know show some signs of um, these deficiencies, and uh, maybe you have some poor health outcomes from that as well. Another more, um, let's say, easier to understand example 
comes from anthropology. So uh, Western A. Price was this dentist who went to these uh, Aboriginal tribes to see uh, why these these children have like really perfect teeth and uh, perfect jawlines and uh, uh, facial features compared to the Western children who had like uh, tooth decay and uh, different crooked teeth and those kind of things. And he came to the conclusion that it had to do with the uh, the uh, content of their diet. So these Aboriginal people they consumed the diet high in a lot of these. Uh, fat-soluble vitamins like uh, A, D, E, and K, and those are very uh, crucial for the development of uh, the face and the jawline and the teeth and the bones. So uh, the Western children just ate the diet that didn't have these um, essential uh, nutrients. And uh, that's why also the their physical development was um, suboptimal as a result of that. Another example would be uh, just the production of glutathione. So glutathione is the body's uh, master antioxidant and uh, it's very important. The main building blocks of glutathione are cysteine, glycine, and glutamate amino acids. Uh, but it's also these, these conversions of these amino acids into glutathione are also dependent on the, these minerals, magnesium, selenium, zinc. And then the recycling of glutathione is also dependent on uh, different uh, minerals in different uh, parts of the cycle. And last example is uh, melatonin, the sleep hormone. So um, Tryptophan is uh, one of the first building blocks of uh, melatonin. Tryptophan gets converted into 5-HTP, then serotonin, and eventually melatonin. But these conversion pathways are also depend on uh, minerals. Calcium, magnesium, iron, zinc, magnesium, and magnesium, and zinc. So what are the minerals uh, that your body needs? So there are 17 essential minerals, and uh, seven of them are considered macro-minerals. There are calcium, chloride, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, sodium, and sulfur. Then there's a 10 trace minerals, chromium, cobalt, copper, fluoride, iodine, iron, manganese, molybdenum, selenium, and zinc. And uh, five possibly essential trace minerals, boron, lithium, nickel, silicon, and vanadium. Uh, these are, they're not considered absolutely essential, but um, they still may have like some benefit beneficial roles in the bodies. This is just that the uh, like World Health Organization hasn't established an RDA for these uh, minerals, and that's that's why they're considered like possibly essential. So one of the top uh, ten mineral deficiencies. Uh, there's a lot of them. A lot of a lot of people may be deficient in some uh, minerals or the other. Uh, one of the biggest ones is actually uh, boron. So uh, that the people who get uh, suboptimal intakes of boron, there's over 75% of them. Manganese is also about 75%. Magnesium, 50 to 68%. Chromium, 56%. Uh, calcium, 44 to 73%. Zinc, 42 to 47%. Iron, 25 to 34%. Copper, 25 to 31%. Selenium, 15 to 40%. And molybdenum, uh, 15%. Obviously, it's a very like, uh, depends on the location. And depends on the diet, what the person is following, but uh, the average person, the kind of the, not the biohacker person, but like the average person tends to have these kinds of deficiencies. So yeah, like a boron is actually, it's not uh, because, because boron is considered like a possibly essential uh, mineral, then the deficiencies of boron aren't that um, like visible that easily. Like boron is, we'll talk about what it does uh, shortly, but uh, yeah, it's just because, you know, um, something, some people may not be deficient, clinically deficient in something, it doesn't mean that they couldn't benefit from getting more of it. So it's more of like a, like a suboptimal intake. Uh, most people aren't getting enough of those uh, minerals. Uh, Asim, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe you will 
talk about this a little bit later, but uh, I have a question about this, these deficiencies. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that possible? And do you actually see these, uh, these numbers that we actually don't lack these minerals, but they are not bioavailable in our bodies? Like for instance, iron, we have a plenty of iron in our system, but it's mm -hmm. just not uh, being utilized properly. So can you address this one? Yeah, yeah, like the reason why people may develop these uh, symptoms of deficiencies that uh, doesn't always have to do with the diet. Yeah, like they may be getting adequate enough of the uh, nutrient, but uh, yeah, their, um, let's say that the body retains less because of several factors. Like it could be uh, chronic stress. It could also be insulin resistance. So if you are insulin resistant, then you uh, aren't able to shuttle the nutrients into the cells. Uh, hyperglycemia or diabetes also makes you burn through some of these uh, nutrients faster. Uh, some foods may chelate some minerals, like a lot of uh, fibers and plants can chelate uh, iron as well as zinc in significant amounts. Uh, so yeah, it's um, several reasons for that, why people may not be getting adequate amounts, like a leaky gut or um, poor digestive enzymes or low stomach acid also means that you're not absorbing the foods that easily and you're kind of you know not digesting them completely. So yeah, many, many reasons uh, why it happens. And probably also because some, some of these minerals work hand in hand with other ones. Like it's always like a proportions of one to another. So if, mm -hmm. if one mineral is too high, it doesn't mean it's going to be absorbed enough because the other one that plays a huge role is not sufficient. So there's this uh, yeah. kind of, you know, harmony between those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, um, let's say, for example, zinc, if you're getting too much zinc, then uh, you will reduce uh, copper absorption. Uh, so uh, just by re reducing your zinc intake, you could boost your copper status uh, as well. And uh, let's say iron, you may be getting adequate amount of iron, but if you don't have enough copper, then you're not going to be able to, um, let's say, uh, store it that easily, and you won't be able to convert the iron into uh, hemoglobin and red blood, red blood cells. So yeah, all these uh, minerals do work in harmony almost that they do require each other and some of the work some of them can also be you know counteractive against uh, one another good let's carry on um uh the problem is also one of the reasons why people may be deficient is that uh the food itself has become uh, lower in a lot of these minerals over time so since 1840 the amount of uh, minerals in our food has decreased by approximately 30 30 or 33 percent um and uh, the reason for that has to do with uh, mostly just agriculture, um, soil erosion, pesticides, herbicides, uh, all these kind of things that uh, deplete the soil from the nutrients. And as a result of that, uh, the uh, plants themselves also have less um, food in it. And, you know, if the animals also eat poor uh, mineral uh, plants, then the animals themselves will also have slightly less um, nutrients in them. So that's a kind of a big you know, a problem in a lot of uh, regions. And it's definitely something that um, could be avoided with just more uh, careful um, agricultural practices. It's just people need to kind of um, start to realize <laughs> what's happening and uh, pay more attention uh, to that. Uh, let's start with uh, one of the uh, essential nutrients, uh, or essential minerals, it's uh, sulfur. So sulfur is uh, quite important. Uh, it has many, many roles. It's involved in methylation, protein synthesis, um, it has neuroprotective effects, immune system effects, and in, involved in antioxidant defenses like uh, glutathione. Uh, 
blood to one of the main main functions is also uh, creating cholesterol sulfate from uh, basically sunlight exposure and uh, cholesterol in your bloodstream so that will have a beneficial effect on the steroid hormones and creating vitamin d3 the kind of active form of d3 which then has you know obviously a lot of these immune system benefits and uh, also protects against glycation and prevents against the uh, calcium overload cholesterol sulfate is also important for membrane stabilization so protecting against uh, oxidative stress and uh, just general um, inflammation so this is the kind of the picture example of that so if you have adequate sulfur status you have adequate sulfur intake from foods that contain sulfur like uh, cruciferous vegetables eggs uh, meat and uh, these allium vegetables or garlic and onions those are the main uh, sulfur foods then uh, you'll have you'll be able to produce enough uh, cholesterol sulfate and then you have also vitamin d3 sulfate which uh, once upon exposure to uv radiation and sunlight then you will have these anticoagulation effects tissue, tissue oxygenation effects uh, platelet adherence protection against the glycation and the sulfur itself also has uh, it's going to boost your glutathione levels which uh, protects against the uv radiation side so uh, you will avoid sunburns and you will avoid the oxidative stress that may come from just excess uh, uh, uv radiation or excess sunlight so you get the benefits of the vitamin d3 uh, without the harm basically if you have adequate sulfur intake next up is going to be a boron so one of the main uh, deficiencies so boron is also very interesting uh, because it's not considered essential but it's i think it should be at least uh, it should be like you know more important more relevant uh, than currently thought to be because uh, boron is involved also in the antioxidant defenses and uh, by improving vitamin d status it also has a lot of these um, anti-arthritis effects so it helps to uh, form bones helps to maintain bone density helps to improve it and strengthen it and it also ha has a positive effect on the uh, sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen by reducing uh, sex hormone binding globulin so this SHBG, it uh, binds to free testosterone and it can lower your testosterone levels. So with boron, with adequate boron intake, you lower this SHBG, which then frees up the kind of testosterone. How much boron would you need? So the uh, World Health Organization says that anything above one milligrams is good enough. And uh, most of these regions across the world also eat approximately like one to two milligrams a day what we think uh, with uh, dr james as well uh, is that uh, about three milligrams is the optimal dose per day and the kind of tolerable upper limit is uh, 20 to 28 milligrams which is very hard uh, to reach so yeah three milligrams is probably like a good uh, dose uh, for boron to aim for and uh, there are not a lot of uh, boron foods in terms of uh, foods that have a significant amount of boron uh, usually it comes from just like the plant foods because the boron is a part of the cell wall of the plant and uh, the best foods for boron is actually dried prunes you can cover your daily uh, boron intake with just a few of these uh, dried prunes already because they're super high in that other foods are the kidney beans uh, raisins maybe like other dried fruit can also be that uh, avocados lentils and uh, black currants you could also get boron probably from if you eat like bones like you know, grind up the bones or these kinds of bone broth things um but um yeah the am amount or let's say most people wouldn't do that and the amount can also be um 
you know, uh, varies between that. You, you probably won't get enough boron if you drink uh, bone broth, but if actually you chew the bones, <laughs> then uh, you probably uh, may may get some some good amounts. Let's move on with calcium. So uh, calcium is an uh, essential mineral, and most people think that it's involved with you know bone density, which is true. It does help with the bones and uh, uh, preventing arthritis and osteoporosis, those kind of things. Uh, but it also does what it also does is that it regulates heartbeat, regulates parathyroid hormone. It uh, actually helps to break down fat and lowers the amount of fat you absorb from food, as well as lead. So uh, people who eat more calcium or more dairy, then uh, in studies, uh, those people tend to be uh, slightly leaner and they have less body weight because of the, uh, or the hypothetically, because the uh, dairy, as well as the calcium, lowers the fat absorption. So you get less calories in total from the food that you eat uh, because of that, this, this effect. Uh, calcium is also uh, important for the blood pressure and uh, calcification, so to say, like excess calcium is going to be harmful, um, but uh, you want to strike a good balance between getting enough calcium for the uh, bones, but not enough, not in excess for to prevent uh, heart disease. And it also helps with sleep, like REM sleep is dependent on um, calcium to a certain extent. And for females, it uh, helps to reduce uh, PMS uh, symptoms, apparently in studies. Um, so um, calcium overload is a possible, very kind of dangerous thing that could happen if uh, you have high calcium supplementation, you have high phosphate intake, or and uh, low magnesium intake. So these are the kind of criteria for causing calcium overload. And uh, this would cause atherosclerosis, myocardial injury, cell death, strokes, arrhythmia, hypertension, and uh, yeah, eventually the cardiovascular disease. So you don't want to get too much uh, calcium. The uh, optimal intake for calcium is somewhere between 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams. This is where you see all the benefits of weight loss and bone density. Uh, if you get low, less than that, then you increase your risk of mostly uh, arthritis and osteoporosis. If you uh, have too much of that above uh, 1,500, then you will see like slight increased atherosclerosis and calcification. So somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 milligrams is uh, some of the sweet spot. Uh, interestingly, like this excess tends to apply more for uh, the calcium supplementation. So if you're supplementing calcium, then you will see this uh, increased risk for these kind of things. If you're eating calcium from whole foods, then you could even get more than that. You could even get like 2000 milligrams. And uh, at least in studies, there isn't no association of uh, natural calcium intake with these uh, risks. So you could eat you know, calcium from food in quite large amounts, uh, but the supplementation has actually like a lower a threshold where it becomes uh, somewhat dangerous. So what are the top calcium foods? Uh, dairy is obviously the most abundant source of calcium uh, and uh, yogurt, milk, mozzarella, maybe cottage cheese and uh, curds and uh, yogurts, yeah, different kinds of things. Kefir, those are uh, the highest source of uh, calcium. Uh, cheeses are also good for that and other sources are like fish, fishes that have the uh, bones, like sardines, if you eat the uh, bones of the sardines, then you get a good amount of uh, calcium from that as well. And the same applies to salmon. You, you know, theoretically, it will also apply to the bones of uh, animals. So if you chew on the bones, again, you're going to get some calcium from that as well. Um, there aren't a lot of like plant-based foods that have a lot of calcium, although like kale and spinach uh, do have a small amount. It's probably not going to be a, a significant amount to get that. So yeah, 
it's if unless you're eating dairy then it's a uh, pretty hard to actually get like the good high amount of calcium uh, whether or not you need a super high intake of calcium depends on yeah like maybe like risk risk factors if you have a genetics for osteoporosis or you're female especially postmenopausal then you may need to yeah focus more on the dairy to get the calcium intake or the sardines or something like that yeah Okay, um, maybe I'd like to add one more aspect to the um, absorption of different minerals. In this particular case about the calcium and this um, uh, known, uh, known phenomena of calcium strengthening the bones. And mm -hmm. uh, what, what is, I, I assume you will say yes to that, but maybe you can comment a little bit uh, more in extension about adding some physical exercises we mm. actually quite know that uh, um, impacting bones with some pressure some some hits and you know boxing or sprinting or so will make bones also more dense and mm -hmm. it obviously um, um, happens in in combination with calcium so making it more bioavailable and and at the same time also we know that Calcium is a very important mineral for signaling in the brain uh, between uh, astrocytes. You know, these are the the, uh, the star-like cells, and uh, calcium is one of the main signals that is going on there. So, and mm -hmm. we also know that when you do physical exercises, particularly those uh, um, making pressure on the bones, uh, through the hormone of osteocalcin, makes astrocytes more active so maybe mm -hmm. it's a little bit too complicated but in general would you comment on on uh, adding some additional aspects to absorption of right. mineral for sure yeah like uh, you uh, like just eating calcium may not be uh, enough for sure like to prevent uh, osteoporosis completely and exercise also has yeah a positive effect uh, on doing that the other like there are like a few things that are associated with a good bone density later in life uh, that would be uh, like calcium intake, that would be exercise, uh, vitamin D, and maybe like vitamin K status as well. So those are the kind of good minerals uh, and nutrients to uh, focus on the, the vitamins, especially like the vitamin D and K2 are also um, relevant for that because the K2 will just help to direct the calcium into the bones as well. So yeah, you, you do want to uh, pay attention to that. I think that, you know, uh, the exercise can be uh, a more potent, let's say, stimulus for bone formation or bone density formation than calcium alone. Um, but then, um, yeah, like if you, but if you still have like a very chronically low intake of calcium, but you're exercising, then you're you're not like you know compensating for that. So you still need to get like some calcium uh, from the diet as well to actually have like you know the building blocks for making uh, bones are stronger. Good. Um, and lastly, like mineral waters are also a good source of calcium if you're not eating dairy, like uh, different kinds of mineral waters that have a uh, calcium. Mm, calcium needs to be uh, taken in the right ratio with uh, magnesium, because if you're getting too much calcium and not enough magnesium, then you get the uh, calcium overload and that increases risk of calcification and diabetes. So the ratio is uh, less than three. That will be a good ratio. So if you're, if you're getting calcium three times more 
than uh, magnesium, then that's going to be a problem. And the optimal ratio is somewhere between two to one. So the RDA for calcium would be uh, like, you know, 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams. And the RDA for magnesium is like 400 to 500 milligrams, somewhere between that. So kind of the good ratio, two to one is good. Uh, three to one is still fine. Uh, but uh, the five to one that the US today has can be uh, for sure bad for the calcification. And usually it's not that the people aren't eating enough, or that people are eating too much calcium. It's just that people may not be eating enough magnesium. So you need to still make sure that you eat the magnesium as well, especially if you're eating a high intake of calcium. Uh, next up is going to be chromium. So uh, I think most people don't really know what chromium does, <laughs> but uh, those who do know, then it uh, is usually associated with the blood sugar management. Uh, and it is true that it helps with uh, lowering blood sugar and improving insulin sensitivity, uh, but it also has like some other benefits, like it uh, reduces cholesterol, raises HDL, lowers the triglycerides. Uh, in some studies, it helps to improve uh, body composition through the same mechanisms, through insulin sensitivity and things. Uh, but it's and it's also involved actually some of these uh, antioxidant defenses like superoxide dismutase, uh, glutathione, and uh, DNA enzymes. So the way chromium works is. Uh, by enhancing the activity of the insulin receptor. So let's say a hypothetical scenario where you don't have any, like let's say adequate chromium intake the, and you're uh, insulin resistant, which is the worst case scenario, you're insulin resistant and no chromium, then the insulin won't be able to bind to the insulin receptor on the cell. And uh, as a result of that, the glucose channels remain shut and your blood sugar levels would stay elevated for longer because there's no insulin to open the glucose channels. If you aren't insulin resistant, you have you know still some insulin production, uh, but you don't uh, you have you, you don't have a, cr a chromium, then the insulin will bind to the insulin receptor and it will open the glucose channel to a certain extent. So some of the blood glucose will get in, uh, but it's not, you know it's not fully maximized. Whereas the last scenario is that you have chromium intake as well then uh, chromium will bind to this um, chromodulin, which then enhances the activation of the insulin receptor or the activity of the insulin receptor. So insulin will bind to that and the opens the glucose channel much more. And a lot of more of these uh, glucose will enter the cell and your blood sugar levels will uh, be lower compared to if you had no chromium. So what the chromium just does is it enhances insulin sensitivity and enhances the ability for your body to um, clear the bloodstream uh, from uh, glucose. Uh, where do you get chromium? You get chromium from uh, mussels, oysters, lobster, shrimp, so like seafood. And the only kind of plant foods that have it in smaller amounts are uh, broccoli and uh, oats. So the mo still mostly like from animal foods and uh, seafood is where you get uh, chromium from. Next up, we talk about uh, copper. Uh, so this is where the kind of relationship between uh, two minerals is a good example. So copper and iron work very uh, well, or they have to be, uh, you know, basically uh, balanced. So copper helps with uh, iron absorption, it helps to release stored iron, it helps to uptake and utilize iron, as well as produce hemoglobin, which is the, you know, the oxygenated version of iron that helps to uh, basically oxygenate the body and the red blood cells. So without uh, copper, you may not be able to do that. And a lot of the times, the um, the issue isn't that you're not getting enough iron. The issue may be that you're not getting enough copper when it comes to anemia and uh, oxygenation 
of the body or low hemoglobin status. So yeah, you actually need to focus on getting a copper instead of an iron. And uh, the RDA for copper is about like 0.9 to 1.3 milligrams, uh, but the optimal intake is somewhere between like a three milligrams. And uh, that is yeah something uh, like a slightly higher copper intake is gonna be more beneficial because most people are eating still quite high amounts of iron because it's like fortified in almost all foods. And if you have been suffering from some uh, signs of anemia or you've been low in copper for a long time, then uh, the kind of deprivation recovery strategy or the dose would be somewhere like three to six milligrams a day, which means that you just need to eat <laughs> a lot more uh, liver and some other uh, copper foods like uh, oysters, uh, beans and lentils, buckwheat and dark chocolate are the kind of top high um, copper uh, foods. Uh, liver is the absolute highest. So as you can see, just the three ounces or 85 uh, grams has 12 milligrams of copper. It's also high in iron, but it's kind of very well balanced with uh, the copper. Whereas with the red meat, it has a significantly higher amount of iron compared to copper. So if you're eating only red meat, or let's say only muscle meat and not the organs, then you may getting you may not get, get adequate amounts of uh, copper and you're getting too much iron. Moving on with the iodine, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, um, a short question. Uh, I'm not sure if you know uh, the guy named Morley Robbins, uh, and he's, he's a guy who really emphasizes the importance of the copper. And mm -hmm. he basically says that since, since the Big Bang, uh, there is almost, um, I think, the third element that is on, in, in excess in, in general, in cosmos and in, in, on Earth, is the iron. So basically, it's never the problem of iron in general, but it's uh, usually that the iron um, uh, in combination with copper is the problem. And mm. basically, and now the question is to you, this uh, Robin says that uh, basically the, the reason people age and get sick is too much oxidation of iron. What do you think about mm. that? Well, uh, yeah, like excess iron is associated with heart disease and uh, liver damage. And I do think that, yeah, like excess iron would cause oxidative stress to the body because it's, you know, it's iron and it becomes to rust with uh, exposure uh, to oxidation. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's certainly very important. Like, you know, maybe like aging of the skin, like physical aging for sure can be trace to excess iron in some sense, like uh, just the body experiences more oxidative stress. And if you are you know, full of iron, then uh, any kind of oxidative stress would make it the iron also more reactive or, you know, oxidized. So, you know, like how, how, how true it is, uh, it's hard to tell, but it certainly is an important factor for sure. Like, I, like excess iron would, yeah, make, make increase the risk of uh, atherosclerosis and heart disease, no doubt about it. All right, uh, iodine, let's move on with iodine. So people associate iodine with the thyroid hormones, uh, which is true, the iodine is involved with that. Uh, but as a mineral, it's also involved with uh, antioxidant defense. It's especially important for uh, the brain function and development, uh, intelligence, memory, brain health, um, as well as the immune system and metabolic rate. They very much um, require iodine. And one interesting thing about this, the iodine also protects against the uh, oxidation of these polyunsaturated fatty acids. So uh, if you're eating seafood, then uh, the iodine content in, in itself 
in that can help to counteract some of the uh, potential oxidation that may occur if you're like heating it up too much. Uh, so that's why the kind of natural whole foods that has high iodine is still kind of comes with a full package, so to say. So if you're eating like farmed seafood, then they may not have the iodine because of not eating it from their diet. And as a result of that, uh, they also are more predisposed to getting oxidized the omega-3s in the fish, farmed fish, for example. Um, yeah. So the way iodine works in the thyroid, at least, is that is through in conjunction or together with the other minerals as well again. So uh, to get the iodine into the thyroid cell in the first place, then you need magnesium and uh, sodium. So there's this uh, NIS, which is the um, sodium iodine importer that transports uh, iodine into the thyroid cell. So if you are low in sodium or low in magnesium, then the iodine isn't going to get into the uh, thyroid cell in the first place. And once inside, then uh, the creation of of a T3 and T4, which are the thyroid hormones, requires a selenium as well. So you need salt and selenium to produce thyroid hormones at the end of the day. And the recycling of uh, iodine is also uh, requires a selenium. So it's, yeah, it kind of goes to show again that it's not just one mineral. It can also be like uh, the other minerals are uh, involved there. How much iodine should you get? The uh, RDA for iodine is like 150 micrograms Pregnant women may need more, 250. The safe upper limit is estimated to be 1,000 micrograms, but uh, the average Japanese person can eat up to like 3,000 or even 10,000 micrograms a day, and they don't have any, like, no, no bad health outcomes from that. They don't get any thyroiditis, they don't get any other you know, problems with the thyroid, no autoimmunity, uh, probably because they're getting that iodine from uh, whole foods. So eating a lot of the sea vegetables and uh, seafood in general that has iodine um, compared to taking iodine as a supplement. So if you're taking iodine as a supplement, then the safe upper limit uh, could be yeah, 1,000 uh, micrograms, after which you start to see like uh, thyroid damage and thyroiditis and autoimmunity, those kind of things. But if you're getting uh, even like a huge amount of iodine from seafood or the other foods that have iodine, then uh, apparently, again, like the whole foods, for some reason, uh, bypasses this uh, safe upper limit, and it's kind of safe. Where do you get iodine? Like I said, seafood, sea vegetables, nori, kelp, okami, whichever you prefer, uh, fish, lobster, oysters, as well as the yogurt and dairy. So there's like the Swiss people, Swiss, uh, they uh, don't have access to a lot of seafood, uh, at least like ancestrally they didn't uh, and they ate only like you know these are uh, dairy foods cheeses and uh, yogurts but they still didn't have any like uh, low thyroid or they didn't have like an iodine deficiency so they got the iodine from the uh, milk or the dairy which is uh, fortunate next up we talk about uh, magnesium so uh, magnesium is associated with stress sleep and relaxation but uh magnesium is kind of the master mineral involved with basically every function in the body atp production DNA synthesis, neurotransmitters, electrolytes, inflammation, immune system, anticoagulation, antioxidant defense, uh, heart function, blood pressure, atherosclerosis, insulin sensitivity, thyroid hormones, testosterone, fat oxidation. So yeah, like uh, there isn't uh, anything that magnesium doesn't do almost. And uh, yeah, it's a very uh, huge uh, mineral for everything. An example again, magnesium activates ATP in, in, in addition to uh, basically being that involved in the ATP synthase, uh, magnesium deficiency 
will eventually cause many problems like it increases inflammation, oxidative stress, in endothelial dysfunction and metabolic syndrome. You would also experience uh, sodium and uh, calcium overload, which will then uh, cause things like arrhythmias, thrombosis, high blood pressure, uh, strokes, and uh, then cardiovascular disease. So uh, yeah, just a very um, important mineral for that. How much magnesium do you need? The RDA is like uh, 350 to 420 milligrams, um, but you optimally you may need somewhere between like 400 to 600, depending on the person. Um, yeah, that's going to be uh, to maybe like, you know, make up for the magnesium deficiency or to actually, yeah, have an additional beneficial effect on some of the disease states. Like if you already have high blood pressure, then you may need to in the short term increase your magnesium intake a little bit to um, compensate uh, for that. You may, and you know, the safe limit for magnesium is also like pretty high. Like you could get a thousand milligrams and probably nothing bad's gonna happen. Um, you may get like diarrhea if you overdo it. Um, and that can also be like a sign of that you're getting adequate amounts of uh, magnesium. But um, yeah, it's a pretty safe supplement or a mineral. Uh, the top uh, magnesium foods are pumpkin seeds, almonds, spinach, black beans, potatoes, and salmon. So they're not like super high in magnesium and they're not like a very commonly eaten foods uh, either, which is why uh, magnesium can be uh, such a common deficiency. And uh, it's also something that people could uh, supplement uh, just because of that, because of not uh, getting enough of that from uh, whole foods. So it's also yeah, basically one of the few uh, minerals that you could uh, supplement just to be like uh, on the safe side. It's going to be manganese, so it's a very less known mineral, important, mostly because of um, being a part of this manganese peroxide dismutase, which is one of the uh, antioxidant defense systems that protect against uh, oxidative stress and recalls. Um, it's also uh, involved with regulating the endocrine system and metabolism and synthesizes different kinds of enzymes, uh, proteins, and hematopoiesis is a catalysation. Hematopoiesis uh, catalysation is, uh, requires uh, manganese as well. It's a great creation of these uh, red blood cells and uh, immune system function as well. Where do you get manganese? It's a pretty easy to get adequate amounts of uh, manganese, so it's not um, very, like, let's say, uh, impossible. You get it from uh, mussels, uh, hazelnuts, brown rice, oysters, chickpeas, and uh, pineapple. Some good foods, and it's not very hard to um, reach the adequate intake. Uh, top molybdenum foods. Molybdenum is a very similar to uh, manganese, uh, but it's mostly involved with uh, digesting protein or detoxifying uh, nitrogen and uh, urea. So you still want to get adequate amounts, but it's not, again, like a very uh, hard to get uh, mineral. You can get it from black-eyed peas, liver, lima beans, yogurt, potatoes, and banana, and the kind of RDA itself isn't crazy high <laughs> to uh, not uh, reach. Next up is going to be uh, potassium. Uh, potassium is associated with uh, blood pressure and heart function, uh, but it's also uh, involved with some aspects of antioxidant defense. It helps to reduce atherosclerosis, lowers water retention, increases vasodilation, reduces inflammation, increases insulin sensitivity, also ATP production, helps with carbohydrate metabolism, and uh, gluconeogenesis as well. Potassium needs to be obtained in the right ratio with uh, sodium. So the uh, optimal ratio for potassium and uh, sodium is 0 0.8 to 1.7 uh, 
and uh, that depends a lot on the you know amount of sodium you're getting because uh, the RDA for potassium is somewhere between like 4,700 milligrams is the RDA. So between the 4,000 to 6,000 is the lowest risk for uh, high blood pressure and uh, atherosclerosis if you're getting uh, that amount of uh, potassium. And uh, with sodium, the sodium intake, yeah, it's not necessarily that uh, high sodium is bad. It's more like that too much sodium in relation to too little potassium is the one that is causing the high blood pressure and other problems. So if your potassium is low, then 3,500 3, milligrams of uh, sodium can be harmful. But if you're getting 4,000 to 6,000 milligrams of potassium, then 3,500 milligrams of sodium is uh, not going to be an issue either. The RDA for sodium is like uh, 2,200 milligrams, um, but you don't need to be that low if you're like exercising and uh, sweating and you're still generally healthy, as long as you're getting a higher intake of uh, potassium as well. The modern diet is tend to be you know, processed and uh, refined, which is why the sodium content is super high and the potassium content is uh, much lower. Where do you get potassium? The top foods are uh, potatoes, dehydrated carrots, regular carrots, uh, dried apricots, uh, Swiss chard, acorn squash, lentils. So these kind of plant foods generally are uh, higher in potassium. And potatoes are actually the best one, in my opinion. Like one medium potato can give you like 1,000 milligrams of potassium. So if you eat only like four potatoes, then you can cover your daily uh, potassium uh, already. Selenium, it's uh, mostly associated with immunity, but you know, as you found out, it also regulates uh, the thyroid, provides antioxidant defense, uh, lowers oxidative stress, protects the thyroid against oxidative stress, uh, protects the heart against oxidative stress, lowers uh, stroke risk, prevents uh, lipid oxidation, prevents the LDL oxidation, protects the brain because of its antioxidant capacities, and helps also detoxify heavy metals. Uh, for example, like so seafood may have like more of these heavy metals, but it also has high selenium. So if you're eating uh, like wild seafood, then the uh, theoretically like this, the iodine content and the selenium content helps to detoxify it to a certain extent. And how much selenium should you get? The RDA is uh, only 55 micrograms. Uh, the upper limit is 400 to 800 micrograms, but the optimal amount should be between like, you know, 200 to 400 uh, micrograms per day. Where do you get selenium? The biggest source of selenium is a Brazil nuts. So you can cover your daily uh, selenium with uh, just a few Brazil nuts. Uh, other foods also, kidneys, tuna, crab, halibut, sardines, so mostly like seafood and animal foods are still um, higher in uh, selenium. I don't really know like any plant-based uh, selenium sources, maybe like some nuts, but uh, they're not probably not as high as, uh, as animal foods. Moving on with zinc. So zinc, also important for immunity. The, the uh, RDA is between like nine to 13 milligrams. The upper limit should be, or the even like the, Let's see if you want to be fully optimized, if you have like a low immune system or you've been sick, then you may actually need to get like a bit more, like 20 to 40 milligrams. Uh, but chronically high intake of zinc can also be, uh, you know, negative because of uh, reducing copper absorption and, uh, and raising cholesterol as well. Like excess zinc and uh, low copper would also raise your cholesterol levels. So somewhere between like um, 10 to 20, I think is a good safe amount on a daily basis. Where do you get zinc? Top foods are oysters, red meat, crab, liver, buckwheat, uh, wheat germ. 
and uh, those kind of foods, seafood again can be high, as was muscle meat is super high. So if you're getting eating a lot of muscle meat and not enough organs, then you, again, you're not getting enough copper and you're getting too much iron as well as too much zinc if you're only eating uh, muscle meat, which is why you need to kind of counterbalance the muscle meat, muscle meat uh, with uh, some uh, organs like liver or kidneys. Let's also talk about uh, losing minerals. So uh, you do lose minerals through sweat quite easily. The biggest loss comes from uh, sodium or salt. So sodium and chloride, about a half teaspoon of salt you lose uh, per one hour of exercise. And that can also apply to uh, saunas. So uh, let's take a 30 minute sauna session, then you would lose half of that. So like a quarter teaspoon of salt. It's very easy to replenish that, just drinking like a, maybe mineral water or uh, salt your food a bit uh, more. So you don't really like, you know, need to take like a specific supplement <laughs> to uh, replenish the salt. Um, when it comes to iodine and uh, chromium and copper, then those foods you do also lose in uh, quite significant amounts through sweat. So as you remember, the RDA or the recommended intake for copper is like three milligrams. So you, you can lose almost like a half of your copper if you um, sweat for one hour. Iodine, the RDA for iodine is also 150. So one third of your iodine can be lost. And a chromium RDA is between, again, like 40, uh, 14 uh, or somewhere around there. So you can also lose a like half of your chromium if you uh, sweat too much. Uh, so for these foods or these minerals, uh, you could yeah, like just eat more liver, eat more seafood, eat more mussels, or I wouldn't like supplement copper even then. I wouldn't supplement iodine either, uh, but you could supplement uh, chromium if you've been sweating a lot or exercising a lot. And then there's going to be magnesium, potassium, zinc, and selenium, and calcium, and iron. So these minerals, uh, you do lose them, but uh, they're so small amounts that uh, they don't really uh, matter. That you can you can just you know replenish them with uh, food. So magnesium, eight to ten milligrams is uh, so small. 140 milligrams of uh, potassium is also small. So yeah, just eat like a good diet, and you'll uh, get them back. Let's talk about salt then. Um, so yeah, salt is associated with mostly hydration and electrolytes as well as raising blood pressure. Yeah. So um, just just one question about uh, to how to lose or uh, why we lose or how we lose um, these minerals. And um, because there's a quite a huge uh, community of, of uh, fasters, you know, people who fast. And as, as you also written a book about autophagy and you probably are one of the uh, definitely in the Nordic region, one of the experts on fasting. So how about um, losing minerals by excreting through urine? Uh, when you mm -hmm. fast, probably people notice, especially extended fasts, you lose a lot of urine and in therefore also probably a lot of uh, minerals, which leads many people to feeling quite bad when they fast. So could you mm -hmm. short comment on that? Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh... Well, through the urine, you would lose mostly electrolytes and maybe some um, other minerals as well. Uh, but the biggest loss is still going to come from salt again and uh, salt, potassium and magnesium, maybe uh, chloride. But I don't think that you could lose like a lot significant amount of like um, zinc or selenium through urine. I think, uh, yeah, I think the biggest loss is going to come from uh, salt and uh, to replenish that you can just yeah, drink a little bit more mineral water or just regular salted water. Can also do the trick for that if it's like only like a two-day fast or something like that three-day fast then you don't really need to worry about the potassium or the magnesium you could take like a magnesium supplement 
uh, it wouldn't hurt. Um, but yeah, like, e like you, you're even if you were to be uh, low in, you, or you're not going to be losing like that much uh, minerals through only like a three-day uh, fast, as long as you're eating a good diet. If before the fast you've been eating a bad diet, uh, low in minerals, then uh, it could be uh, problematic, but um, not in most cases. All right, so salt uh, is associated with high blood pressure, but I said, like, like I said, it's also related to uh, potassium and other, even like insulin affects that. Uh, regardless, the salt has other roles specifically for the stomach acid. So your stomach acid is made of uh, salt and water. So if you have low stomach acid, then you won't be able to absorb the nutrients either and you won't get the minerals. So you need to have like good stomach acid and uh, salt helps with that. Salt also helps to you know, um, have a positive effect on the immune system through the same stomach acid. So it helps to break down different kinds of, um, you know, pathogens and bacteria. And salt is important for the thyroid hormones. Insulin sensitivity, like low salt diets, cause insulin resistance, improve sleep, helps with neurotransmitters, uh, helps lower cholesterol, increases HDL, reduces stress hormones. Obviously very important for exercise and energy production. So yeah. Salt is still an essential nutrient, like sodium and the chloride are uh, essential nutrients. Uh, when it comes to waters, then um, they are also like a good source of uh, minerals and uh, any kind of other you know metals. Um, the beneficial ones are uh, calcium, magnesium, sodium, silicon, iodine, chromium, sulfate, lithium, and copper, including some others that you could get from mineral waters or uh, spring waters, and the harmful ones that. Uh, can come from some sources are lead, aluminum, arsenic, mercury, cadmium, excess copper, excess fluoride, excess lithium, and excess sulfate. Those can be problematic. So, you know, if you want to be fully aware of what you drink, then you need to kind of test your um, tap or test your well or whichever water you get. Um, and yeah, like, but the mineral waters are still a good source of calcium, at least, and magnesium and sodium as well. So how do you prevent the nutrient deficiencies? So like I said earlier, you need to fix your insulin resistance because uh, without insulin, you can't shuttle the uh, nutrients into the cell. You need to eat a nutrient-dense food, nutrient-dense diet that involves you know, some maybe organ meats and uh, seafood and maybe dairy. Uh, you can drink mineral waters because the absorption of minerals is much higher from uh, water and from food. Uh, you need to supplement some of the deficiencies that you may have the most common ones, again, like boron, uh, magnesium, uh, maybe uh, zinc in some cases. So you need to figure out which one are the deficiencies and then supplement them. And also have, avoid this uh, diabetes or hyperglycemia and excess stress that can uh, also deplete the body from these uh, minerals and the vitamins. Uh, but that's it. That's my presentation. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, listening. Well, Seem, thanks. Uh quite a nice overview on on the topic um really pleasure to 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 hear you speak about that and uh, hopefully everybody will understand because i definitely will have to translate it also with a with a subtitle <laughs> afterwards okay um, anyway um i have one related questions to question to the rdas that you mentioned several times um mm -hmm. can you comment on that because we see that all the recommended doses from your side, and usually we know that 
um, these R RDAs are on the safe side. So to be sure that nothing's going to happen. So is it, can we say as a general rule of thumb that RDAs had to be left, you know, aside and you have to actually pay attention more to the ex 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 uh, increased doses uh, rather than written on the, on the labels of supplements, for instance? Mm -hmm. Well, the most of the RDAs are pretty accurate. Um, it's just that uh, some people may need more because of their poor absorption or their insulin resistance uh, or they're deficient. So, uh, yeah, you know, the most accurate way to know would be to just, you know, measure your blood and uh, look at what the, what the specific minerals uh, look like for you. Uh, so if you are already good, if your red blood cell magnesium count is uh, good, then you don't need to, like, uh, take large amounts of magnesium supplement all the time. You, you can skip it. Uh, but if it's low, then obviously you, you could, uh, in the short term, like, boost it up a lot, so to say. Okay, and uh, definitely this is going to be probably a huge topic, so we are not going very deep into that. But in general, uh, you probably also noticed that there are many uh, uh, supplement forms that uh, are useless and some that are quite good. So in, also the same about the magnesium, right? So there are many things that you can buy in, in the drugstore that are useless, but there are many producers that make some forms that are more bioavailable. So maybe short comment on, on how you actually yourself approach all the supplements to decide and to, to actually understand whether these are just uh, expensive pills that do nothing and, and actually work. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, the most available ones uh, or most effective ones are like liposomal supplements. So uh, those are much more easily av av available than uh, regular pills. Um, maybe like tinctures as well, liquid, liquid forms tend to do better. So liquid uh, drops can be a highly more, more bioavailable than uh, pills and capsules. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I don't, you know, usually the doses on those supplements can be uh, much uh, higher than you actually need. So e even if they are, let's say, worse in the bioavailability, then you compensate for that with the higher intake, so to say. So you still absorb them, even if even if your absorption rate is lower, then just because you're getting you know, three times the more than you need, then that would uh, counterbalance that. So like, I think I don't think that you need to you know, particularly be um, super concerned with that. Uh, but if you are, then uh, the kind of liposomal versions, the tinctures, yeah, the liquid forms tend to be a bit better. Okay. And um, as we probably have seen uh, that there are many biohackers that drink, you know, 50 pills every day, you know, like they're totally obsessed with different kinds of supplements. But for me, you seem to be a guy that uh, tends to, to take, get most of the micronutrients from the food. So um, how is it really? Do you take a lot of supplements or do you really prefer food natural um, forms of these things? Uh, I do take quite a lot of supplements. Um, I don't take like a lot of uh, nutrients in terms of that. Like I don't take a lot of uh, vitamin supplements, uh, but I do take a lot of uh, different kinds of supplements besides that, you know, that have a different function for that. Like um, maybe like NMN sometimes that has a different function than uh, vitamins and minerals. 
I do take like, you know, vitamin D3 regularly, K2, some magnesium sometimes, um, maybe like some other like herbs or um, like, you know, astragalus or something that like a herb supplement that uh, helps other things like cholesterol and um, things mm, or lipids. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I do take a, a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't know like how much, maybe like for sure, like 10 at least every day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, I see. Yeah, and then the, the final question, uh, since you have written so many books, uh, you can actually mention all of those here. Uh, you know, everything we started with keto, you know, bodybuilding approaches to diets, you know, everything like that. You have written book about the immunity and about autophagy and now this mineral fix. So what prompted you to write this book and uh, how come you... Uh, found your mm. interest in minerals mm. well they found me in some way because uh you know dr james uh my co-author he uh he proposed the idea to write the book about minerals because he uh, has written a book about salt before and a lot of his followers asked to get like a book uh, on minerals as well as a follow-up so we wrote the uh, immunity fix before and uh, the kind of the next step was going to be uh, the mineral fix so uh, that's how i got into minerals <laughs> and I, I do now realize like the importance of that and I learned a lot uh, through the process of writing the book uh, so yeah now I'm like a huge uh, yeah, proponent of making sure that you um, have like, an adequate mineral intake I mean 500 pages or how many pages in the book uh, you, yeah well, one should well, learn a lot about minerals here <laughs> yeah like the book is uh, maybe like 500 pages uh, of, of uh, like the content and the there's also like yeah, like 200 pages of the references after that so yeah cool so a lot of a lot of references involved yeah congratulations on that so uh, if anybody wants to find more more about you it's seamland.com and mm -hmm. people could write an email to you and also i i noticed that you have a lot of different activities with uh, with finnish guys with the biohacker summit guys mm. so what's yeah new and what's cool going on in that front hmm uh, well for this year nothing like there's not gonna be any events uh, this year unfortunately uh, we just recently had like a retreat in September which was awesome we plan to have another retreat in April uh, 2022 and the next summit is gonna be in May in Estonia in, in Tallinn at 20 oh no sorry uh, Helsinki 2022 yeah mm -hmm. Well, yeah, congratulations on, on the books and, and on the further plans. So I have to say, say a huge thanks to you for taking time and, and sharing your, your insights on minerals. Uh, that was awesome. And that yeah, probably no will give a lot of insight also to other people. So thank you. Thank you, Seem, on that. Yeah, no problem. That's it for this episode. If you want to check out Inside Tracker, then head over to seamlund.com forward slash Inside Tracker and use the code Seamlund for a 25% discount. Other than that, share this episode with a friend and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on all the podcast apps. Thanks for listening. My name is Seam. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.